1: Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, in which we look ahead to the stories and events that are going to be making news in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. So we'll be talking about the outlook for the UK housing market, a supermarket that's really in the thick of it, and a dash of fashion. And from America, we'll be discussing Monsanto and whether it is really the answer to feeding the world or just Frankenstein's food. And BlackBerry, the once must-have smartphone that's certainly fallen on hard times. I'm joined by Catherine Hopkins, The Times Property Correspondent, Andrew Clark, our Deputy Business Editor. And on the line from Washington, Alexandra Freen, US Business Editor of The Times and indeed columnist. Welcome to you all. And Catherine, let's start with you. We've got the British Bankers Association, we've got their lending figures. But more importantly, what are they going to tell us about the state of the UK housing market, post-election particularly?
0: Well, the BBA will be publishing its latest set of lending figures for April on Wednesday. And now, while March showed um, a slight pickup in lending for house purchase from the previous months, I think we could see a bit of a slowdown in April, and that will be just because of pre-election jitters, and I think then... From the data from after the election, we'll see a gradual pickup, and a lot of commentators are saying that this will continue steadily throughout the year.
1: Oh, you've been talking to a couple of the house builders. Who are they? And what are they saying about looking forward, as you say, post-election? Was this just a blip while well, people got over the uncertainty and then committed to transactions they'd already previously decided on? Or is it genuinely a move forward?
0: So, Cress Nicholson and Barclay Group have both reported strong set of results this week and they're confident that the market will continue to perform strongly this year, but they don't think it will show signs of overheating like last year. What, what they do both agree with though is that we have a huge 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 supply problem in this country and the government is not doing enough to resolve that and as long as that is not being resolved then house prices are going to start to creep up and while we are unlikely to see double-digit growth like we did last year on on an annual basis that is that they are still going to rise and actually the royal institution of chartered surveyors is predicting that house prices will be about 25 percent higher in five years time
1: it's a long time
2: <laughs> um Catherine, isn't there also a a problem in that uh, there's a skill shortage and uh, I've heard some of the house builders making comments about uh, Britain really needs to stay in the European Union because otherwise we'll lack some of these East European brickies and plasterers and electricians who who put up the new homes.
0: Yeah, the skill shortage has been a huge problem for the house building industry over the past couple of years and it it hasn't really eased at all the the problem is there's a huge lack of skill brickies and plasterers and as a result there's been some reports that brickies in the northwestern and London are being paid a £1,000 a week for their services so I might actually think about a change of career if, uh, if that's a going rate but on a more serious note the, the two house builders both said that Britain needs to stay in Europe because they use so many workers from Poland and Romania because there aren't enough skilled workers in the UK that um, leaving Europe could really damage um, the house-building industry.
1: Is that going to put a dampener from an investor point of view? I mean, the housing sector has, through real estate investment trusts, it's widely held by private investors. Do you think we're reaching somewhere near a peak as far as investors are concerned in the housing market?
0: Not at the moment. I think there's still a lot of demand in the sector. And I think in terms of prices, in, in um, house prices, investors see, see that there's still some way to go and, and that they, they're still keen on, on the industry.
1: Oh, well, there's still plenty to watch out for. Alex, if I could bring you in here. I mean, is the US housing market such an integral part of the American economy as, as, as we've been hearing it is here?
3: No, it's not. It's a very different beast to the UK housing market because it doesn't have the same supply issues um, that you have in the UK. This is a huge country. There are pinch points in places like the San Francisco Bay Area, Manhattan and parts of you know the oil rich areas austin texas where where there's housing shortages but overall there isn't that big issue of a shortage of housing and what we've got now at the moment with the u.s housing sector is a very rare sort of moment of sanity where um housing prices are going up roughly four percent that's a bit faster than inflation and wages but it's not overheating and um you know although the Uh, Analysts think the the housing market is a little bit overvalued. They're really happy with where it is. You don't get that situation where where people are either desperate to buy because they think the prices will go up or terrified of buying because they think the prices will plummet. We're we're in that really good middle ground right now.
1: Because it was subprime mortgages that perhaps set the the whole of the disaster rolling or not the entire cause of it. Do you sense that, rather like Britain, that uh, lenders over there are more cautious now?
3: Well, lenders are more cautious. And also, you have to remember, there are still millions of Americans who are still underwater uh, on their mortgages um, from those heady days of subprime mortgages. So, um, you know, house prices on average are still below what they were, were before the prices crashed in 2007 and eight, 2008. And, um, Millions of Americans are still owe more on their mortgages than they can sell their houses for. So that has taken the edge off the increases in house prices in, in other more prosperous
0: areas.
1: Uh, Catherine, back here, do you think that's the same in the UK, that there is generally a lot of people who are still underwater or not?
0: No, I, I, think, I think the situation sort of improved um, in the UK recently, that the improving economy and ad- attractive rates have, have made it much easier for people with mortgage debt in this country.
1: All right, well, uh, thanks for that, uh, Catherine, and stay with us, Alex. Let's move on to what investors are going to be looking at for in particular, and we have a, a trading update from Tesco, quarter one, Andrew. I mean, from hero to zero in stock market terms, that's Tesco, isn't it?
2: Well, they certainly were zero. I'm not quite sure I'd call them heroes yet. Um, Dave Lewis, the new chief executive, is uh, doing a reasonably good job so far, but we are still anticipating that on Friday they'll announce a drop in light-for-light sales for the first quarter of their financial year. Barclays analysts are predicting a drop of about 2.3%. And that's because this ongoing decline in loss of uh, customers to discount stores such as Aldi and Lidl uh, continues. There's some evidence that Aldi and Lidl have slightly slowed their momentum in stealing savvy, uh, thrifty customers from tesco sainsbury's morrison's asda in recent months and i think it'll be very interesting to see what dave lewis has to say about that whether he's feeling a little bit more bullish than perhaps he was uh, at the back end of last year
1: what about waitress have now entered the fray i mean very much so haven't they discounts that uh, they described as possibly being very very expensive is that going to impact on tesco or is that another battle taking part elsewhere in the field
2: well, anything in this uh, in this sphere makes a difference, and it was interesting to see Waitrose uh, entering the price-cutting battle uh, with uh, with considerable panache. They have a new offering whereby you can choose, I think it's 20 items from a long list of things they stock in their shops, and for those items you will get a sharp discount. Traditionally, Waitrose has trade on the basis that they're slightly more upmarket gourmet luxury foods, so they haven't been as aggressive as the others on price so this is a slightly new departure for them
1: we've got the annual general meeting coming up are investors going to be as we like to say angry is it like to be fireworks there
2: Well, I think investors were angry six months ago when we were at the height of uh, uh, a scandal over bookkeeping and the Serious Fraud Office began to investigate. There will be questions raised over the amount of money that former executives such as Phil Clark, the ex-chief executive, have been paid uh, to go away. But on the whole, I think investors feeling a little bit better about Tesco's progress. Uh, I mean the other thing that, that we'll be looking for an update on is the sale of assets and uh, Tesco's put Dunhumby, its data analysis business, up for sale and they've also been suggesting they might try and offload their chain of Home Plus stores in South Korea. Catherine.
0: Um, and Andrew w- w- what do you think we're going to see in terms of their property portfolio over the next few years? Do you think that's significantly going to be reduced?
2: Yeah, I mean, they've already pulled out of quite a lot of uh, development sites for new supermarkets, and they've shut a small number of stores too. Um, A lot of the focus has been around out-of-town superstores, and Tesco is more exposed to that sector than any of its rivals. People are shopping slightly less at out-of-town supermarkets and spending more time going to, uh, well, getting online deliveries and going to convenience stores. However, Um, Still, the majority of all food bought in the UK is at these out-of-town superstores. So if you talk to people like Tesco's chief executive, they will say the death of the superstore has been somewhat exaggerated.
1: Talking about superstores, Debenhams once a superstore. Is it still getting a trading update from them?
2: Yeah, well, Debenhams has had a tough couple of years, really. Um, I think Debenhams got hooked on discounts. They seem to be having these blue cross sales that you might recognise nearly all the time. So they they became addicted and customers who went into their stores always expected uh, price cuts. And if they didn't get them, then they weren't shopping there. And it's taken... Debenhams, the last year or so, it's been gradually weaning itself off these sales. It's had an impact on the top line and we'll get an update in the next few days on just how they are managing to cope with that. And what about
1: one of the big fans, Mike Ashley?
2: Yeah, Mike Ashley, uh, the Sports Direct and Newcastle United billionaire, took a very arcane and very complex derivative position in, sp- in Debenhams' shares last year. He's not done badly out of it, actually. The shares of Debenhams are actually up 20% since the beginning of the year. It, it, it's widely thought, though, that, that Ashley's manoeuvre is more about trying to get more of his uh, tracksuit bottoms and football tops from Sports Direct into Debenhams stores than it is about making a quick buck on Debenhams' stock price. But he'd probably do that as well. Monsanto,
1: Alex, um, let's come back to you there. Monsanto's got this hostile bid-out for Syngenta, and it's involving this... Um, we were talking there just now about Mike Ashley's uh, complex tax deals, but this tax inversion takeover is involved. Can you first of all explain to us why it's important, this tax inversion?
3: Well, what Monsanto wants to do is take over Syngenta, which is a Swiss company, and set up a new headquarters for the combined company in the UK. Um, that's called a tax inversion when an American company buys overseas to rebase its headquarters overseas they do this they find a lower tax country place themselves there for official purposes and then they just paid that lower rate of tax on their overseas earnings so in the case of Monsanto it would cut its tax bill by billions.
1: So definitely worth doing I mean does that then suggest that perhaps sometimes these deals are more about tax than, than real corporate worth for investors?
3: I I think frequently they are. I wouldn't say that's the case in in this instance because Monsanto makes seeds and crop protection. Syngenta makes the the crop protection that goes on the seeds that people like Monsanto make. So they are quite a good fit or parts of their business are quite a good fit.
2: Alex, um, is this actually a net positive for the UK if this uh, huge multinational does end up basing itself, even if it's just a brass plaque, but basing itself on in some level in the UK?
3: Well. It- indeed be because you know what what they want to do at Monsanto is expand into developing countries where Syngenta has already got a a pretty strong foothold so if they can increase their revenues from going into those markets um that could mean you know more revenues coming back to a UK company so it could be and interestingly what somebody very close to the deal told me was the reason why they chose the UK as a potential site for this um new combined company and let's not forget that Syngenta is resisting this takeover so it may never come to pass but they chose the UK because it was considered less hostile to GM foods than other countries in Europe.
2: Yeah that's what I was just about to ask you do you think there are uh, so so you don't think they're too worried about um, uh, tabloid headlines over Frankenstein foods here?
3: I think they are worried about it. I think they're sick of it as well. But I think they've just learned to live with it. The fact that they announced a couple of years ago that they were just giving up their push into expanding their GM foods or GM crops in Europe. I mean, they do have some in Spain, but they, they gave up their major push to expand into Europe because, in face of that opposition. So they kind of accept that. I personally will be very interested to see how this plays out in coming decades. I think there's a very good chance that the anti-GM campaigners are wrong and that one day we'll look back on this moment and think, ah, oh, yes, GM foods are the way to feed the
1: world. Well, blackberries are food of sorts, but now a smartphone, Alex. I mean, has it really fallen on? We mentioned hard times, but can it survive?
3: BlackBerry's not dead yet. It's it's nearly dead, but I wouldn't write it off just yet. They're reporting earnings next week, and what we are expecting to hear is that they are going to integrate Android um, operating systems completely into certain of their phones, and that could really be a game-changer if they could make it a lot easier for BlackBerry users to use and download Android apps. Um, that That might be what it needs to just turn the corner. So far, nothing they've done has worked.
1: Andrew, if they do get a new model, would you be interested?
2: I think I'm completely addicted to Apple products now. I sometimes worry that um, I've got a a Mac, uh, an iPad, an iPod and an iPhone. And if Apple suddenly decided to... press the button and switch everything off then my life would be in tatters
1: dear oh dear oh dear catherine
0: um i actually prefer samsung's now that i've got one um perhaps in my older age i find the bigger screen a lot more helpful
1: dear oh dear oh dear well thank you all very much and remember you can check out all those results when they happen and the latest breaking stories that's on business now our live blog that's the business page of our website and it's in pop-up form that makes it easier to read time subscribers can also sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails that's for all the latest news on the move wherever you are and if you don't have a subscription it costs a special one pound offer go to the times.co.uk And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. It really is that simple. My thanks to Alexandra Freen, Catherine Hopkins, and Andrew Clark. And yes, you can follow them all on Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thanks for
2: listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.